Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. Well, good morning, Redeemer. How are we? Good? All right. Uh, If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open it to uh, Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. So yeah, it's my first time preaching in the round. If I forget to turn around, just remember that Moses asked to see the Lord, and he said, you could only see my backside, and it was an honor. So So if I forget, you're welcome. Um, When I was in second grade, I don't like to date myself, but when I was in the second grade, a new song hit the Billboard charts, and uh, this song kicked out, kicked out of the number one spot, Sweet Child of Mine, by Gods and Roses, okay? One critic uh, said of this song, it is a formula for dealing with life's trials, And what made this song interesting is that it didn't have any instruments other than voices and whistling. Can anyone guess the song? Don't worry, be happy, right? Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with that song by Bobby McFerrin, I'll read a couple of verses for you so you can understand the formula. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. What's the formula? Don't worry. Be happy. Okay. So we all whistled along and we did our best impression of acapella for a few weeks. And then you know what we did? We went right back to worrying and not being happy. (laughs) Because this song is not a formula for dealing with life's trials, it's a formula for denial. And it doesn't actually help us at the end of the day. Now, uh, I know what we just met, but how many of you would be honest in church this morning and and cop to the fact that you struggle with worry and anxiety? Okay? All right, let the record show. That's a good number of us. The rest are liars. (laughs) And there's so much going on in the world right now. There's Ukraine, right? There's that brutal uh, mass shooting in Buffalo. There's the economy. There's... Our, you know, our jobs, inflation, gas prices, all that stuff. And, and, and we just continue to struggle with worry. But Jesus has something to say to us, and he meets us in our anxiety if we will only listen to him this morning. And when we listen, when we take in what Jesus has to say to us, I, I believe it'll change our whole perspective on our anxiety. So if you have your Bible, follow with me. I'm going to read uh, from verse We're in chapter 6. I'm going to pick up in verse 25, and we'll read down to verse 34. Uh, I'd like to read the whole passage just to give us context, uh, and then I'll pray, and we'll, we'll jump in here. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful to be with these people. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would show up, that you would fill me and empower me as I um, preach this word, that I would rightly divide it for your glory and for the good of these people. Pray that you would help us to listen well, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also, and to receive the great gifts that you have for us in this word. And so uh, would you do that for us, we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. All right, so if we're going to get a handle on anxiety, we kind of need to know how to define it, right? But before we do that, if you notice in the text, Jesus starts this passage with a therefore. Therefore, do not be anxious. Now, if you know the Gospel of Matthew, this passage takes place in the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus has just done a lot of teaching about who God is and about what God provides. And so he says, for instance, that we have a heavenly father who sees us, who knows us and knows the needs that we have. You see that in verse eight. In light of the fact that earthly treasures are fleeting and fading, in light of the fact that God's love and provision are forever, he says, therefore, therefore do not be anxious. Three times in the passage, he says, do not be anxious. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I like to sort of argue with the text a little bit. And so when Jesus says to me, do not be anxious, I go, thanks, Jesus. Do you think I want to be anxious? It's not exactly a character trait that we want to accentuate, right? Like those of you who are single, you don't lead with that on your dating profile. You're not like, I enjoy long walks on the beach and crippling anxiety. That's not how we lead, And if you're someone who struggles with anxiety and someone tells you not to be anxious, that's just about the worst thing you can say to them. Unless. Unless you know something that they don't know. Now, we're in like a DVR culture, so some of you might have record your favorite shows if you know you're not going to be able to watch it live, or maybe record a sporting event. And if you've ever been in a situation where you're watching someone with someone else, and you've already seen it, but they haven't, and maybe there's a, 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 a plot line shift, right? And this character is in danger. Or maybe, you know, your team is behind in the score. But you know the result, but your friend doesn't. And you can say to them, hey, don't worry about it. It's gonna get, just trust me. Don't worry about it. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. This is not Jesus's Bobby McFerrin moment, right? This is not Jesus saying, don't worry, be happy, This is a high priest who sympathizes with us on our weaknesses and who knows the end of the story and can remind us that we have a God who is above us, 
who has gone before us, who lives within us, who is for us and is with us in all things. Now, that raises the question, what is anxiety? What is this kind of worry that Jesus is talking about? And actually, if you look back at the text, um, again, as I mentioned, he uses the word anxious multiple times here. And we might describe anxiety as things like worry, fear, nervousness, angst, panic, or stress. For, For some people, anxiety is just this constant state of feeling on edge a little bit, right? This, this low-level disquiet of the soul. And we can't really pinpoint what, where it comes from or what it's all about, but something in us is just not at rest, not at peace. That's anxiety. That's worry, okay? Now, um, the body, the human body, is made to react to danger. God has given us, I think Tim Keller called adrenaline God's wonder drug, uh, he gives us adrenaline to help us deal with anxious and, and, and fearful moments, right? To, to rise to the occasion under stress. But when we live in a culture with constant news feeds and these stupid things in our pocket all the time with just all the notifications and all that, it starts to overwhelm us. We start to be filled with, and, and, and this adrenaline rush that we're on to deal with stress wears us down, literally tears our bodies apart, to the result that 20% roughly of Americans are on some sort of anti-anxiety medication, which means maybe many of you in the room are on anti-anxiety medication. And praise God for the common grace of medicine. But one of the paradoxical side effects of anxiety medication is actually increased anxiety. The word that Jesus uses here is a word that means concern or, or to care. In other words, anxiety is overcare, overconcern. About what? Look, look back at the text. He says, do not worry about what you will eat, about your body. At the very end of the passage, what does he say? Therefore, do not be anxious about. What's the word? Tomorrow. Hmm. See, it's not tomorrow itself that we're worried about, is it? It's all of the possibilities of things that might, could, possibly, maybe happen tomorrow. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? What's going to happen to our kids when they go off to college? What's going to happen with the stock market? What's going to happen with gas prices? And can I afford to even get to work on time, right? It's all this stuff that starts to go through our hearts and our minds. And at the end of the day, if you think about what is it about tomorrow, the future, that worries us, it's that we don't know what will happen. We don't know what the future holds, and we really want to know what the future holds. So before we move on, I just want, just curious, what has got you anxious or on edge today? Like, when you came through these doors and you smiled at people and you got your coffee and you had a seat, what is the real that's just playing over and over again in your head that you can't stop thinking about? That's got you a little on edge, a little anxious, a little worried. Would, would you maybe for the first time today just give that to the Lord? 
say, Lord, I don't know that this is mine to hold, so I want to give it to you. Now, that's sort of a definition of anxiety, but where does anxiety come from? Look back at the text with me. I'm going to reread a few verses here. Verse 27, Jesus says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Consider the... Sorry, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, if it's true that we're worried about the future and we don't, and the reason we're worried is because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, it also stands to reason, and I think Jesus points it out here in the text, that the source of our anxiety comes from the fact that we are not in control of the future. That's why he says in verse 27, who, by your worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? What's the answer? No one. Psalm 90 says that uh, the days of our lives are numbered by the Lord. And you can't, with any energy that you muster up, add even a second to your life. It's impossible. We are powerless to do that. And so he starts to push back against us, and he asks us the question in verse 28, why are you anxious? And we might respond to Jesus, have you watched the news? There's violence, there's inflation. Uh, COVID is, in some places, back on the rise, and all this stuff starts to swirl in our heads. I'll tell you one reason why I'm anxious sometimes, because I have a 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And my daughter is the middle child, so she's not only a pastor's kid, but a middle child. <laughs> and she's the only girl. That's like the hat trick of rebellion right there, okay? That's why I named her Sophia, because I'm praying that God would make her a wise and godly woman, and I don't have to deal with some of the rebellion some of you have had to deal with your, with your kids. But not only do I have these three kids, all of them have access to this thing called the World Wide Web. And I can't, I mean, I can put parameters around, right? But as they get older and as they move on, I can't control all the things that come into their hearts and minds through the internet. Why do we worry? Now, it's important to think about why we worry, you know? And if it was working for us, I could understand why we'd hold on to anxiety. But is it working? Would anyone say, you know what, I, I worry a lot and it works amazing for me? No. It's not working. And again, in verse 31, he points us to what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear, all these future-oriented questions, right? So what happens is all these questions and all these what-ifs start to swirl around in our brains. And if we give ourselves to those questions, and it's good to be wise, and it's good to plan, and it's good to think about the future, but when we, get, when we start to swirl, we get pulled out of the present where Jesus is with us into an unknown future. And we feel all alone because we've, we've gotten ahead of the Lord, you see. And our mind starts to spin 
and we're pulled into that unknown future. And, and one of the questions that starts to come into our minds is, am I enough to handle what's coming? And things start to, start to feel like they're out of our control. Do you know why things feel like they're out of your control? Because they're out of your control, right? To quote Nicole Kidman from one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces that's ever been put to film, the movie Days of Thunder. That's a joke. That's a horrible movie. <clears throat> Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman. It's like Top Gun in race cars, basically. Um, she says this to him at some point. Control is an illusion. You infantile egomaniac is actually the full quote there. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. Not on a freeway, not on an airplane, not inside our own bodies. Now, when you and I attempt to hold on to control, okay, we're actually saying something with our attitudes and actions about what we believe about God. And here's what we're saying. When, when we attempt control of our circumstances, of other people in our lives, of our situations, we are saying, without saying it, either, I don't believe God is actually in control, so I must be, or I don't trust God's control, so I must wrangle it back from him. See, there, there is something in every one of us that actually resents the sovereignty of God. Because we want to be sovereign. We want to be in control. We want to be just like our first parents, right? Adam and Eve, who, who wanted autonomy. They did not want to be under God's gracious care and control. They wanted it for themselves. They wanted to be like God. And we see how well that went. And so what do we do? We manipulate, we micromanage, we work nonstop. And what do we gain? Ulcers? <laughs> Weariness? Now, some, I mean, for some of us, it works pretty well for a while. And you, then you blow up relationships with people because they don't want to be controlled. See? Jesus is saying to us, we are anxious because we don't, we don't believe or we don't like that we need him. And yet our desire for power, our desire for control actually makes us more insecure than we were before because we cannot handle the weight of it. So it overwhelms our hearts, it overwhelms our minds. And so we have to ask the question, like, what do we do? Like, I think most of us would acknowledge, maybe not all the time, but in, in, in areas of my life and in certain seasons, I do that, right? I try to hold on to control, try to manipulate, micromanage. It's hard to trust the Lord's sovereignty. It's hard to trust the Lord's control, but I also can't handle trying to control my life. So what do we do? What do we do? Jesus here in the text actually gives us two very practical handles for dealing with our anxiety, and I wanna share them with you in just a moment, but before I do, um, where do you find yourself trying to exert control over that which is not controllable? You may find that's where arguments with kids or with spouses comes up. 
It may be that thing that you wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep because it's swirling in your brain. Where are you trying to exert control over the uncontrollable? You guys with me so far? Yes? Okay, all right. Quiet. Um, two, two practical handles, okay? Look back at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, when Jesus says, look at the birds, he's not just saying, look at those birds, aren't they cool? Right, the word he uses is actually, uh, means to examine them, to study them, to consider them, to focus on them, right? To think about them. Not just look at them, but think. That's why I, I, I say our, one, of the, one of the handles that Jesus gives us here is to rethink our circumstances, okay? Look at the birds. Um, how many of you have the problem, I have this problem, where uh, I speak before I think? So I, words come out of my mouth, and then I'm like, oh no, right? And I'm trying to get them back, but it's already gone, right? They're out. How many of you do that, okay? All right, anxiety is your heart speaking before you think. And what happens is we face these questions and these circumstances and we get pulled into that unknown future and we start listening to our heart just chatter on and chatter on about all this kind of stuff that might, could maybe be possibly happen. Some of you are that kind of person where um, you think to yourself, well, if A happens, then B is going to happen. And if B happens, then C, then D. And you get all the way to like letter Q and A hadn't even happened yet. Look. At the birds, he says, they neither sow nor reap. They don't plant their own crops. <laughs> but they're well-fed, aren't they? You see birds popping antidepressants and anxiety pills? Why? Because your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, and are you not of more value than they? There's this uh, place, I think it's in Psalm 147, where it says that um, God feeds the beasts of the field and even the young ravens. I don't know if you've ever seen a raven. It's like a wannabe crow, right? So he doesn't say, and God feeds the eagles. God feeds the falcons, the hawks. He says, even the little young scraggly wannabe crow, he feeds him. And are you not of more value, image bearer of God, than some annoying little black bird, right? Look, look at the birds, how I feed them, how I provide for them. He preserves 
and he sustains all of his creation. Then he says, consider the lilies, basically field flowers. You know, I don't know if they do this in Tennessee, but in North Carolina, along the side of the interstate, they plant all these little field flowers because they grow up and then they don't have to mow it. <laughs> that's it, right? But they're pretty, but that's why they're there, right? So that the weeds don't grow up and they don't have to send out mowing crews. And those flowers are here today, gone tomorrow. They don't mean anything, they're pretty. Okay, why would God, who put the flowers there? The DOT, yes, but ultimately it was the Lord, right? <laughs> and if they're here today, gone tomorrow, why would he even care that they're beautiful? But see, God even considers the details. And, and he makes things beautiful because they're a reflection of who he is. And are you not more important than some little field flowers that are here today, gone tomorrow. He says in verse 32, the, the Gentiles, or that's the, the pagans, right? The non-Jewish people, the unbelievers, they're the ones who are worried about what they're gonna eat and what they're gonna wear and what tomorrow holds. They're the ones who are worried about the economy. They're the ones who are worried about gas prices. They're the ones... And how on earth are we as the people of God ever going to win the world to Jesus if we're worried about the same stuff the world worries about? Oh, you of little faith, he says. Now, faith is not a blind leap. Faith is actually thinking rightly based on who God is, the truth of who God is. So we open up his word and the Lord tells us who he is and, and we, we let that sink into our souls. We have a father in heaven who knows us, knows what we need. We can trust him, all his promises he's good for. That gives us confidence and gives us a peace that resides in our souls that allows us not to be so worried about what's going to happen. We can trust him in the moment. So he says that we're of little faith because you, a man or woman cannot be full of faith and simultaneously full of anxiety. If you read the text, they're actually opposites of each other. Why, do you, why are you anxious, you of little faith? You cannot be full of faith and full of anxiety. Worry and anxiety is praying to yourself. Did you know that? Because what's the question? What am I going to do about this? How am I gonna get out of this? Anxiety is praying to yourself. But what is faith? It's preaching to yourself. Faith is taking the word of God by the spirit of God and wrestling with it and wrestling it into my soul so that I gain confidence in who God is. It, we, we, we argue with our own heart. We don't just listen to our heart chatter on without knowing what it's talking about. We speak back to our heart. We remind ourselves of who God is. He is sovereign. He's in control. He created me. He loves me. He provides for me. He showed me that by sending Jesus to die for me and to rise again so that if I would receive him with empty hands, 
and cling to him and him alone, even if it's by the thinnest little straggly like strand of faith, I belong to him. I am his child and every blessing that he has given to his own son, Jesus Christ, is mine in him. So we cling to Christ and we rethink our circumstances. We preach to our heart. And we understand that everything that happens in our lives has been filtered through the sovereign hand of our God and allowed for his glory and for our good, ultimately. So that's the first handle he gives us. But then he says this, look at verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is is wanting us to refocus our hearts here. Seek first the kingdom. What does that even mean? It means that we center our lives on Jesus. Two things cannot simultaneously exist in the center. (laughs) So um, if you read the Bible, either Jesus is the center of our lives or we are the center of our lives. And those are the only two options. Seek first the kingdom of God. Focus your heart and your mind. Center your life around Jesus. You know that story, maybe you're familiar with um, Luke's gospel, and there's the Martha Mary story in Luke 10. You guys familiar with that story? So there's these two sisters, and Jesus comes, and they're going to prepare a meal for him. And Martha, uh, she's a go-getter, right? And she's working, and she's trying to clean the house and cook all the meals and stuff. And her sister's just sort of sitting with Jesus and hanging out. And Martha gets pretty perturbed about that. And she's like, Jesus, don't you care about me? I'm doing all this work. Don't you care? And Jesus, he's so kind, but so honest. (laughs) He goes, Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious about many things. But there's only one thing necessary. Your sister has chosen the good portion. See, she got her priorities right. She, she centered her life around me and, and you're doing all this other stuff that I don't really care about. Um, make me, Jesus says, your priority. Seek my kingdom first. There's this old song, I don't know if you guys sing it here, but uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what? The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So Jesus says, if you will make me central in your life, it's not that you won't worry or be anxious again, but your worry and anxiety will be tempered. It will not control you. It will come under the authority of this sovereign and gracious God who knows you and loves you and has your best interest in mind. If anything else is first in our lives, family, relationships, money, our career, material things, even ourselves, we will be riddled with anxiety. But if we make Jesus the central focus of our lives, anxiety will no longer control us. Now, some of you might be saying, that sounds great, and I really wanna trust him. I do, I wanna trust him, I just can't. Now, I don't know you very well, but might I suggest 
that the reason why you can't trust Jesus is not because you have too little faith, it's because you have too much faith in yourself. You won't doubt yourself. You won't question yourself. So you would say to God, God, I have a wonderful plan for my life. Why don't you just follow the script that I give you, Lord, and everything will be fine. So we refuse to doubt ourselves. We refuse to think that the plans that we have established in our minds for our lives are the best thing. That maybe the sovereign God of the universe, who holds all things together by the word of his power, might have a better idea than you do. I know you went to ETSU, but listen, God might be a little smarter than that. No one has lied to you, failed you, or disappointed you more than you. So maybe, instead of holding tightly to our ideas and our plans, we open up a little bit and begin to trust that Jesus might know a little bit better than we know. But listen, Jesus, this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't mock us. He doesn't belittle us. We, we, this was in one of the songs earlier. What does he say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? A disciplining, a good stern talking to, a correction, rest. He invites us to come to him. Why are we weary and heavy laden? We're full of anxiety from trying to control the mess out of our lives. And he says, come to me. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And so when we are willing to humble ourselves and come with open hands before the Lord, we find a high priest who actually does sympathize with us in our weaknesses. You know, in the, in the wilderness, Jesus was, was out there for 40 days and he's hungry and he's tired because he's fully human, he's fully God, he's fully man. And in his weariness and in his hunger, the enemy tempts him, remember? And he says, hey, turn these stones into bread and I'll give you everything you want. And what is Jesus's response? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's our perfect example in totally trusting his father at all times. In the garden, the cross before him, he's praying. He, he, he says, Father, if there's any other way to do this, but, but what you've laid out, he's sweating blood. But what's he say? Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And so he invites us to come to him. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he took God's righteous punishment for every time we have tried to con take control of our own lives. For every time we have rejected the gracious authority of our Father in heaven and tried to be this autonomous, God-like creature who controls our own circumstances and our destiny, that is sin. That's cosmic treason. And it deserves punishment. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took all of that for us, absorbed it all into himself so that we would receive back nothing but blessing to be received with empty hands. When we 
surrender ourselves to Jesus and come to him. Jesus was forsaken on the cross to secure for us the promise that we would never be forsaken again. So listen, the, the God of the universe who saved you, who even right now sustains you, you know what I mean by sustains you? Everybody right now, take a deep breath in. Gift from God. And your next one, another gift from God. He holds all things together. Okay? The God who saved you, who sustains you, he is not surprised by the circumstances of your life. He is not powerless to do anything about the issues that you struggle with. He's not anxious about your life, so why should you be? Let us be a people who, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all of our anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. Redeemer, Jesus cares for you. He cares about all those things that keep you up late at night. Would you give them to him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the opportunity to share the word with them. Uh, and I pray that something that has been said this morning um, by the power of your spirit through your word would stick. That you would help us to be a people who trust you, who are full of faith, and so therefore not full of anxiety because we know the, run, the one who has written all the days of our lives in his book. And we walk by faith in the one who has purchased us. We love you, not nearly as much as we ought to, but we love you. Help us, Lord. We give our anxieties and our worries to you today because they're not ours to hold. Be gracious to us now as we respond to you. We pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.